When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Andy J Podcast. Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the latest episode of the Andy J Podcast. Another podcast that if you're listening in real time is landing out of sync for us. We're dropping it on a Wednesday instead of a Tuesday because yesterday we threw all our attention behind the brilliant Michael Sheen. Well, today the focus is on just the one guest again, a special conversation with Fern Britton. TV presenter and author, a lady who started her career in 1984. I find that so hard to believe. She just sort of seems so youthful and vibrant. She started in many different shows. She started, I think, as a continuity announcer and newsreader. Uh, but then she moved on to do all sorts of things that we saw, including, of course, hosting This Morning for a very long time, as well as Ready Steady Cook and, and many, many other things. And she's just been an absolutely fascinating character that we sort of, we British public have known of and cared for for a long, long time. And, and I hadn't realised this until I had the opportunity to interview her, of course, and then I got up to speed. But she's written, I think, nine Sunday Times best-selling novels, uh, for which I have read the most recent Daughters of Cornwall, and we touch on that a little bit in this chat as well. Now, this conversation, we recorded it, so if you're listening in real time, it's the middle of July 2021, and we recorded this conversation a few weeks ago, and we've held it back for a couple of different reasons, one of them um, being embargoes and and such, uh, another being that uh, we had other guests that were already in the queue, and sometimes when you're doing a radio show, show you have to put certain individuals out because they've got something very current very pertinent so on that so yeah fern fern's been held back by a few weeks but that doesn't date this chat because what she has to say is timeless and fascinating and what i can tell you is i found her absolutely lovely lovely company i really really enjoyed this conversation and her honesty and her openness and her uh, willingness to share so so much was remarkable and brilliant and lovely. I thought she was great. So please enjoy Fern Britton. The Andy J Podcast. Hey, welcome to the show. I am so thrilled. Every now and again, regular listeners to the show will know that we dedicate the entire show to one very special guest. And there's only really one criterion for that. They have to be amazing. And so my next guest fulfills that on so many levels. We have a whole hour in the company of Fern Britton. How are we doing, Fern? How are you going? Oh, bless you. Uh, well, I'm fine. That was a very nice introduction. Uh, there's a, uh, I mean, no, I don't feel amazing, but nonetheless, feel free to say so. It's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very nice to be here as well. Thank you. What else would I be doing on a Saturday afternoon, eh? Well, I mean, having a cup of tea and looking out the window, that's what I like to I'm do. doing that. Good. I'm doing that as well. Have a yeah. nice stare. <laughs> I am. I'm looking at my cherry blossom. It's absolutely beautiful. And the clematis on the wall at the back. It's just lovely. Spring has definitely sprung. Yes, it has. Oh, how joyful. Fern, there's so mm. much that we're going to get into. I hope you're up for a bit of a rambly chat about your wonderful life because you've just done so, so much. I sort of thought to myself, well, when we're chatting to Fern, 
there's just a thousand things I want to talk to her about. And we've we've actually only got an hour. So, and oh. of course, I'm mindful as well that your brilliant new book, Daughters of Cornwall, it's been out for a little while now, Sunday Times bestseller. Loads of listeners will have already bought it and read it. But of course, I want to share mm. the love and make sure that anyone that hasn't read it yet knows all about oh, it. Oh, thank you. Well, it has only just come out in paperback. So that's fair enough, isn't it? The, the hardback did very well last year. Yes. Well, I mean, that seems, well, let's start very briefly, if that's all right, because I, I do, I'm so keen to walk you through your life because it's, it's been wonderful. But let, let's sort of start very briefly about, about the novel Success, because there are very few people out there who can say, oh, yeah, as my, as my second career, as my sub-career, as it were, I've written nine novels and they've all been Sunday Times bestsellers. I mean, that's a, that's a very small club, Fern. Nothing in my life has really been planned. I've literally followed my nose. And when you're talking about the book, that's, that's why. Um, I think it's kind of happened. I, I mean, I've never searched for a house. You know, people go house hunting and they see 25 houses. And all. No, I just turn up at one and go, yeah, this is fine. All that. Uh, it's extraordinary. And um, so with the books, I wasn't expecting to be writing a book, not, not in the slightest. And I was very grateful when... Um, I wrote my autobiography and that went quite well. Yes. And then um, my publisher said, uh, do you think you could write a novel? I said, I don't think so, no. Anyway, <laughs> it started from there. And um, the first one was a bit, you know, naive, shall we say. But I suppose it's like anything. As you learn a bit more about how to how to work and what you want to write, um, I'm not saying I'm, you know, a literary genius, but I'm quite enjoying it. I'm enjoying telling stories. And I particularly enjoy it when people come up to me and say, oh, I want to know what happens to X and Y in your village of Pendragon and Trevay and all those things. And I've created this world that um, uh, seems to exist in other people's minds as well as mine, which I'm really delighted about. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that must be quite a remarkable thing to, to, to imagine. Oh, it's lovely. Mm, and I still can't believe, I mean, last year when um, Daughters of Cornwall was at number one for a few weeks, um, I said to my friend, oh my gosh, you know, it's number one again this week. And she said, well, why are you surprised? I said, well, last week was obviously a fluke. This week, maybe people are enjoying it. I don't know. You know, it really is. I'm not very good at uh, projecting myself, if you know what I mean. Yes, I, I completely understand that. And, it's, and it must be quite a strange thing for the audience to hear because, of course, the world of celebrity, the bubble of celebrity, as we've experienced so often on this show, is one that, that members of the public just assume is a bright, brilliant place where you're full of confidence, everything is successful, everyone knows each other, and it's just this really breezy, incredible life full of extroverts that, are, that know that the world is going to win for them. And actually, that couldn't be more uh, untrue, could it? Oh, no, it's not true. Um, uh, yeah, that's a funny thing. And also, you see, when I started 40 years ago, a long time, 1980, when I started, I um, I did it because I liked the job. I wasn't looking necessarily to be a well-known person. I started very quietly down at a television company called Westwood Television in Plymouth. It doesn't exist anymore. But... Um, I started just being an, a continuity announcer saying, you know, and now Coronation Street and mm. stuff like that. And then to reading the news and then and then the BBC said, oh, come come and anchor our news magazine show in Plymouth. So I did that. And then you start to make it the odd film and then you start to understand how to make a little um, news report on, on film. And then you and then suddenly, you know, it, it snowballs. And but I never have um, my father, of course, was um, 
a very famous actor at the time, Tony Britton, and um, he was doing um, Robin's Nest and, and Don't Wait Up and lots of broad, uh, lots of London musicals and tours and all sorts of things. Um, and he was the famous one in the family, and I didn't necessarily want to chase that, and I don't think I have chased it. But and I'm still, I still would prefer. I mean, I'm sitting here now. <laughs> in my big baggy trousers and my hair scraped back. I've actually had a bath for you. You'll be glad to know. <laughs> I've, splodged, I've splodged a bit of mascara on. And um, that's it. You know, I'm just, I really am happy to be real. Does that make sense? Yes, it sounds does. like I'm really blowing my own trumpet. I'm not. I'm just, you know, who's the most famous I have? The most famous person I have on my phone, and this is going to blow your mind, Kirsty Alley, who's in Cheers. Yes, that's cool. That's cool, isn't it? That's but only cool. because I work, I worked with her, and we adored each other. Had such a laugh, and now occasionally we have little chats on the phone. But that's it. I don't really have it. Oh, and Eamon, of course, I've got Eamon in. So that's it. I love it. Well, surely you've got Scope in there as well. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that that would have been weird if you didn't. I mean, that would have been... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I have. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been a story. <laughs> Do you know what, what's really interesting, Fern, is that there's a little kind of anecdote about my career with regards to to you and and starting out, and that was very very early in my career. I was asked to do some continuity announcing for ITV. And, yes. uh, and and I was sort of told by the boss there because I was like because I was employed as a presenter by ITV. It was one of those general contracts. And you know, back back a thousand years ago, when you got employed yes. as a presenter for a channel, and they used you in different ways. And so for me, one of the ways they were going to use me early doors was as a continuity announcer. And I was like, oh come on, what's that? That's that's not presenting. I you know I was so young. Mm. I thought every presenter had to be on camera and so on. And mm-hmm. they were like, oh no 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 no, it's fine. Fern Britton was a continuity announcer. And suddenly I was mm. cool with it. I was like, oh. Really? Is yeah. that true? Yeah. Well, doesn't it doesn't it teach you about time every second? I bet in your head now you could speak for seven seconds and know when that seven seconds was up without looking at your clock. 100%. Used to be a part Absolutely. of this. Exactly. Exactly. And that's terrific. It's those little skills that no one else knows about that you can do. I mean, it's terribly easy to, to get a makeup artist and, a, and a, a stylist to dress you up and put you in a limo and arrive at an award ceremony. That's so easy. Uh, except it's terrifying. It's frightening. I don't like the red carpet. I don't like the photographers. I don't like it. Actually, makes you feel a bit sick and queasy. So mm-hmm. I haven't done that for about fifteen years. I don't want to. I don't miss anything. I'm in Cornwall. I love. Um, I was born in London, and I love London. But I'm not missing it. You know, I'm loving being in Cornwall and just hearing about. Oh, when's uh, when does Wednesday Bingo start again? Because in the summer they always do Wednesday Bingo in the in the church hall, and it's brilliant. And holiday makers come and, um, you know, just have a nice time. But that's, you know, hopefully that will come, come again this year. Yes. That really is, for me, is a joy. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know what you like. You're in your happy place. Fern, can we, can we, can we start at the beginning? Because you, I, I would say your, your early life even sort of marked you out in a, in a slightly different way. For, I mean, first and foremost, you weren't really in your head. Fern, you were Fifi. Oh, yeah, that's hilarious, isn't it? Well, to some of my family, I am still Fifi. Um, Yeah, my mum and my sister always called me Fifi, and my aunts and uncles and cousins and grandmother, you know, the whole lot. And so when I went to school, um, I went to quite a smart little school when I was tiny, like four, five, six. And um, it was for trendy little children of the time. This is So this is 1962, 63, Thunderbirds and all that. Yeah. Well, the children of... Um, the Thunderbirds couple were there and the children of, um, you know, uh, directors in 
because it was in Buckinghamshire, very close to Ealing, very close to Pinewood, very close to uh, Denham Studios, all that. They, yes, all the directors were there. Dr. Challoners, isn't it, we're talking about? No, this no? is a tiny little school oh. called Little Turret. Oh. Little Turret doesn't doesn't exist anymore, yeah. So it was full of rather lardy dardy children, not that any of us knew that, <laughs> because, you know. Uh, anyway, so at that school they called BCC as well. Oh. And I have a little reading cup to this day. I was given a cup because I won it three years in a row to Fifi winning the the, uh, Reader's Cup. So then my parents were divorced and I think obviously finances went a bit skew with for my mum. And so we moved from quite a comfortable house to a tiny little brand new 1960s three up, two down semi-detached house, which is lovely. I mean, it was no problems that my mother couldn't get furniture in it because everything was so big. Anyway, then I was sent to the village school. And the village school children thought I must be American because I spoke quite differently. And in class, I was I was very homesick. I didn't like it for the first bit, but the headmaster was wonderful and made me very, very um, sorted in the end. But in class, they would be calling me Fern. Right. And I'd sit there and not say anything and look around <laughs> and think, who the hell is that? And it was me. So that was a tricky time, but I got through that. <laughs> and then after 11 plus, which was the days, then I went to um, Dr. Tanner's. Right. Gotcha. Yes, I understand the timeline now. Thank you. And and, and actually, you, you sort of mentioned your famous father and, and indeed that your parents were divorced. So your mm. your sort of early relationship with your dad was primarily, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm making assumptions here, was primarily through watching him in things. Yes. Um, I don't know how often I saw him. It felt like once in a blue moon, and I think it probably was. Um, but yes, I, I would be allowed sometimes to stay up and watch him do something on television. He did a lot of those early dramas that were always shot live. Um, not that I understood that either. But I, what I did understand was that it, although he wasn't allowed to wave back at me, he could see me sitting <laughs> on the sofa. So I had to be quiet and I could wave at him. But the reason he didn't wave back was because he was working. So, you know, he was acting, so he couldn't do that. So I understood that much. And... Um, it, I mean, I've been telling this story because it's it's important to me. When I was in my 50s, um, my father did tell me why I didn't see much of him. And it was because, and this is terrible, um, awful for my mum. But so he and my mother split up and my father had found um, another lady who became his second wife. But in the interim, he nipped home to see my mum and my sister. And when he'd left, I had been conceived. <laughs> so then... That's why he never lived with us, because he'd gone before I was even, you know, he, he had gone before I had even been thought of. Wow. So that was complicated. It must have been very difficult for him to talk to his new um, partner and my mum to have to tell him this is what's happened. I mean, awful. But so, And then I didn't even know that he had married and had a son. And so I met my brother when I was about... 17 and everybody kept this stuff from me and I'm telling you this because family secrets and lies is very much at the heart of um the book that's yes, out is. now daughter to Cornwall. yes mm. it is yes it's I mean it's in fact you even say at the end of the book uh, about how so much of it is inspired by a, a, a secret that you found out in your own family which is which is fascinating mm. and you're so right we I don't know if it's a new generation thing now, Fern. I don't know if the, the sort of new coming through wave of, of youngsters turning to adults are in the same mould. But certainly, you know, you and I, we're from a, a sort of background of, yeah, no, we, we, we keep our private stuff private. Mm. Yeah. 
It is odd. And, and I think now we're understanding that it doesn't do anybody any good at all. <laughs> it's much better to air everything. I've always said to my kids, look, you are entirely uh, uh, allowed to have a private life. I'm not going to be looking into every corner and expecting you to tell me everything. You are allowed a private life. However, you can also tell me anything and I'm not going to be shocked or hurt or, you know, if, if there's anything that I can help with, I will help with. Mm. And um, and that has helped a lot. Therefore, they're all actually quite open with me sometimes about things I didn't necessarily need to know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's so much better than, than knowing that someone's going to be cross with you or, you know, that there's going to be shock horrors there aren't going to be any shock horrors it's okay we can deal with things i think it's great that you've got that relationship you've you've got four children and it's mm. uh, certainly i mean and, and they're all quite grown up now aren't they i think i think your youngest daughter is 19 is that right correct yes yeah, she's 20 in august that's winnie uh grace has just turned 24 and the boys the twins are 27 i know I think isn't that mad how time flies? I I have three boys and I would love yeah, they're, but they're very they're tiny. One of them's only eight weeks old. Um, but, oh, congratulations! Thank you very much. But you know, you say that here. I mean, hearing you say your kids will tell you anything. I sincerely hope that in in ten fifteen years time, I can say to my lads, oh, yeah, you can get cream for that. Don't worry. Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, but they are nonetheless entitled to their privacy. Yeah. But um, but don't don't do secrets and lies because that's ridiculous. I think I've told my children everything, and you know, I'm very open with them about all sorts of things that have happened to me. If it's if it's applicable to them, and it might help them in their you know decisions and things, and there you go. Yeah, do you find no it, secrets. Do you find it liberating? Yes, because you're not looking over your shoulder thinking, oh, "God, I hope they don't find out about that." Right. You know? Right. Yeah, I think it's very liberating. And they need to know that parents, we're not absolutely rigid and have not lived a life and do not understand what they're going through. Because we do. You know, we were once all mad teenagers and mad 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, whatever. We've done it, probably. <laughs> we, we've certainly tried. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Maybe not with the level of success they achieve. I mean, you've also had. Obviously, I appreciate that you know being open with your family and with the people that you know and trust and love is is completely appropriate. But you've had a fair bit of intrusion from the press as well, haven't you? I mean, oh, there's been a lot it. of a lot of fern bashing at times because you haven't necessarily gone out and booked an exclusive with a with a red top. Yes, I, I, I'm presuming you're talking about the gastric band gate. Uh, which well, gastric really, band gate rolled for a while, didn't it? It was. It went on for two or three years, and it was pretty grim, and and also um, just well. I must have been very naive, but why do I have to telephone all the newspapers and tell them this is what I'm doing? Mm. Um, and when you know we see a lot of people on television who've clearly had lots of plastic surgery, and and they're going, yes, no, it's just my good skin and genes, and you think, no, it's not. You've had your something done um but anyway it was a private thing it was um okayed by my gp and the surgeon i needed to because i was getting tired and my knees were hurting and um it was a perfectly legitimate medical thing um but anyway yes then then they made up the newspapers did make up quite a bit that i i had um uh sold a diet and done this and done that. No, I hadn't. I genuinely hadn't because I knew, obviously, if you expose anything like that, you're not going to 
pretend that you're doing something else. But I did think, well, I'm pretending by omission. Mm. But then why should I tell anybody? However, you know, in the end, it all blew over. But it was it was very grim. And that led to me definitely wanting to step away from intrusion. And uh, there were lots of things going on at that time that that made me decide to leave this morning. But um, it, it was certainly I couldn't deal with the intrusion, so much so that Fridays were my day off. And the local police were so kind. They would follow me uh, to take my kids to school, to the village school, um, because photographers were around all the time. All the time, in hedges, jumping out in front of parents' cars at school. They were always, uh, you know, outside the house, following me to the shops. I mean, it was it was untenable and unbearable. And so, obviously, I just wanted to. I thought, no, 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 this is. And they, and they always say to you, oh, you know, we don't write the stories. I go, no, you're providing the pictures so that they can write the stories, and the stories are usually incorrect. And you know how you can. Uh, you can touch pictures up to make you look better. Well, of course, they can touch them down to make them look worse as well. So never believe quite all the photos you see of anybody. Um, and it, it was a nasty mess. I think the press are getting a little bit better now, but it was it was pretty awful. And uh, when I finally left, it still went on for another year or two. Gosh. Yes, people mm. don't see that, do they? People sort of, there's that old phrase, oh, it's price of fame and all the rest of it, you know, that like like we should somehow oh, yes. accept this sort of violation. But I mean, that, that must have been really, really grim. It was very, very grim. Indeed, it really was. Um, the boss at ITV took me off air for a few days because I refused to apologise. Um, I mean, it was, you know, it was just crazy. And in the end, I thought, I can do without this because I came to do the job I love not all this stuff, but if I have to have this stuff because I'm doing the job I love, I'd better give up the job I love. Yes. It was, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's, uh, the whole work-life balance thing just wasn't even an option for you. No, and fortunately, it was exactly at the right time because the boys had just done their GCSEs and I was there to support them through their A-levels and always have a, you know, the chicken in the oven when they came home and all that. So it worked very well and, um, Oh, oh, I think, oh, oh, you know, the magazines always writing terrible things. So the children had a lot of stick at school for, for stuff that was written about me that was absolute rubbish. I was having a breakdown and I was, you know, all the, and no, that wasn't the truth at all. I just thought, oh, it's not worth it. You know, just walk away. Mm. And then all the, then there were the stories about, oh, she left because Philip was being paid more than her. Good God, why would I leave a job I loved and was well paid for to go to nothing? You know, really, mm. <laughs> it wasn't that. Mm. Yes, yes. There's there's some basic maths there. Let's have a think. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I'm getting mm-hmm. ten pounds a day or no pounds a day, which would mm. I rather have? Come on. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have a life and be skint personally. <laughs> yes, yes. Gosh, I, I mean, I must admit, Fern, I had no idea it was that grueling and, and that harsh. You know, it's the sort of public perception of you and and, and my own naive imagination of you, Fern. I, I apologise for this. Is is one of a huge smile and laughter and and just mm. you know think you you. you you're just that sort of that person that everybody wants to smile with and laugh along oh, with. Oh, bless you. Well, I do do a lot of laughing and a lot of smiling. And so that's, that's also me. But um, it was, yes, it was, it was horrible and it was dodgy and it was unfair. And, but you know what? You learn so much about yourself. You learn so much about your own fortitude and um, what you can actually 
deal with and overcome and not let it um not let it make your life make you feel bad you know i i have always been open about having had depression and yes i do have depression and i'm fine at the moment but you get periods of it anyone who's listening now who has the same will understand it doesn't mean to say that i'm having a mental breakdown i'm not and i was very very lucky to be um loved and secure at home you know and i and I, it's just reality it's just television and other there are other careers as well obviously that are horrific for people but that was that <laughs> and now here I am I'm nearly 64 I'm still alive <laughs> so it's okay yes yes indeed I mean you've sort of mentioned your your depression I wasn't sure whether to discuss it with you actually today but... you can say anything you like I, I'm honestly I'm more open now than I've ever been because it's comfortable I'm comfortable and people um you know it might help other people to know that oh they're not going mad either no these things happen and it's awful and you can be angry and accept it mm-hmm. how does it manifest for you Fern because you, you, you've sort of mentioned I, I, I've had depression and you've even said it, you know it, it, it might return so what of course what, what is yeah. a, a depression period for you well it comes on very gently and for me it's like I'm walking down a lane that's quite sunny and then gradually you notice there are little black specks in the air and it's a little bit mm, foggy and a little bit dim and the light's going out and all of a sudden you are in a black cloud that you is very, very tangible mm. to me. So much so that I, I can't understand why people looking at me can't see it. And it's a, it's a very weird thing. Um, and it makes you, it makes you, makes me want to sleep all the time um and just feel grim but i'm very very good at smiling through it um which is also confusing a lot of people are like that a lot of people can smile and be fine and but inside they're just you know one i'm I, I, the worst of my um postnatal depression which was obviously years ago now and actually postnatal depression is depression <laughs> it just happens that you're exhausted and your hormones are everywhere and you've got the baby um but uh I remember just thinking, oh, I'm smiling away and I've made supper and everything's lovely and the, the fire's lit and the, the beds are nice and warm and I've given them a bath and I've put them in their pyjamas and now I think I'll just nip upstairs and kill myself. That's fine. Wow. I mean, it was like that. Yes. But um, I mean, thankfully, n- none of that has happened for a very long time. So I'm happy to say that, yeah. And there how, is life after it. And how do you manage it? Because obviously you, you sort of mentioned you've got these triggers now that you, you're aware when it's happening. You, you can see mm-hmm. the, the fog descending, as it were. Yes, so, yes. So how is it that you can now control it or deal with it? Or do you just know, right, I've got to strap in for this. This is going to be however long, a few days, few weeks, whatever. It, oh, yeah, no, it would be a couple of years, you know. Oh, um, but, uh, yeah, um, so I would... Now, if I see it coming, I know not to run away from it. I know to let it hit me and quickly pass through the other side. That's the only way I can imagine it, that big black cloud. I can see it, stand still, let it go through me, and it's done. Um, And also, uh, I have had um, antidepressants, which are extremely helpful. Um, They don't make you spaced out or anything like that that people suggest. Um, And they're extremely helpful. They are, as my doctor once described, a bridge over troubled water. Yes, yes. Well, that's going to be an earworm, Fern. Thanks for that. That's, uh, <laughs> Sorry. 
sorry. <laughs> Going to have that on a loop in my head for a while now. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, how have you been, uh, I mean, I'll put this delicately, Fern, because it's, you know, obviously we've talked a lot deeper than I was anticipating and, and, and I appreciate your candour. It's, it's remarkable. Not at all. Um, not at all. You know, if you don't mind me bringing up a couple of personal things, I'm not trying to be intrusive. Go for here. it. The, Go for it. The last couple of years. You're very good. Listen, you're a good interviewer, so you want to do those things, say it, and I'll tell you if you go too far, and I'll say I don't want to tell you that. Well, bless you. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> ob- obviously, I'm just looking at your last couple of years where there has been great change in your life. I mean, oh. you know, the sort of change that, that would have anybody just kind of questioning, hang on, what the heck's going on? Of course, I'm, I'm referencing the, the marriage with Phil. That's, you know, that's yes. come to an end after 20 years. But, but also... You know, we aren't we aren't long from from your parents passing either, which is never something yes. that anyone can handle, really. Yes, it's been a very difficult couple of years for everybody with this COVID, and um, the yes, my mum died three years ago, my father died eighteen months ago, and uh, then COVID hit us, and Phil and I came to the end of the road. Yes, and it all sort of came at once. And I was very grateful for all that time during COVID, particularly last April, May, when the weather was so fabulous, wasn't it? Yes. I'd sit in the garden and um, and think a lot and pray a lot. Um, my faith has somehow solidified in the last couple of years. Um, I'm not wanting to throw this down your throat. It's personal to me, but um, it's a lot of things are sort of straightening out in my head about all sorts. First of all, I realized that um, I've enjoyed two brilliant marriages with very good men, but for one reason or another, you know, they hasn't worked out. And maybe I quite enjoy being on my own. Mm. Maybe I'm not meant to be married now. And then uh, losing my mum was very difficult. It was just before I went off on tour with Calendar Girls for a year. So that happened just as we were starting rehearsals and my father dying at Christmas last Christmas Christmas fall um, wasn't a shock but nonetheless he is missed they are both very very missed I'm very grateful that both of them were not in they were both in nursing homes at that time because they're in their 90s but um, I'm so glad that they weren't in the nursing homes when this terrible COVID thing's going on, because those those families, oh my gosh, I I can't even begin to imagine how terrible that is and heartbreaking. So we could have a funeral, and we did see them and all that, you know. Yes. Mm. Did your did your role in the world change, Fern, when when your when your parents died? Did you feel that you were now taking on a different character, a different responsibility? It's funny um, when I had the phone call in the morning to tell me that my father had died. Um, I went to see my older daughter, Grace. I said, oh, Dada's died. And I said, I'm an orphan. She said, oh, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Which made me laugh again, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's it's okay. It's all right. I still feel my parents very, very present. And, um, you know, I sort of talk to them in my head. I'm not sure I'm getting any answers, but there's so many memories and so much around in the house. And they both uh, came to this house that I'm living in in Cornwall and they know it. And so there's a lot to, to remember. Yeah. And, and gratitude. And my, my mother and her mother were very, very tough cookies. They were tough, strong women. And I think, well, if I've come from that stock, I'll be all right. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Have you found, 
again, I can only speak to myself. We only have our own realities, don't we? But when we lose somebody that we are so close to, that's such a big part of our lives, I've I've found when it's happened to me that my Mm -hmm. role in the world has changed because I've felt a newfound responsibility to represent them somehow. Does that make sense? Oh, how interesting. How very interesting. Yes, I understand that. But no, I don't feel I need to represent them. They were too very large characters who could represent themselves and still do mm. uh, um, in the family. You know, they all go, oh, well, what what she would have done is what my mother was called Grom there, so she was known as Grom. Oh, what would Grom say? You know, <laughs> what would Dada say? Yeah, yeah. Have you found that you, because I, I, I certainly felt this as well, I, I sort of now can speak for them. I feel that, that I knew them that well. You know, that, that oh. actually, in, in, in whatever circumstance, I would know exactly, well, this is my reaction, but this is how, you know, Ben would have reacted or whatever it might be, you know? Um, I haven't had that experience, no. No, I haven't, because we were brought up to be tremendously independent and have our own minds. And um, so I don't feel confident enough to do that. No, not yet. Okay, okay. It's I mean, it's bizarre, isn't it? Grief, it's sort of... You never, everyone just sort of, I, I don't know if you felt this, but something awful happens and you get lots of sympathy for a few weeks. Sometimes it even mm. carries on for two or three months. And then mm. and then people sort of think that you're you're all right, you know, because you're, you're still mm. putting your coat on and going out walking and all the rest of it. But actually it's, I don't know, for me it's there every, every, every day, constantly. Yes, and I found it very hard to grieve because as I said to you, they're still so present in my mind, mm. so present. And... Uh, and because my father was so unpresent during my life, I'm used to talking to somebody who's not there. And um, and the same with my mum in, in lots of ways. So although she was incredibly present in my life, she was a wonderful parent. But um, yeah, I, I, I still kind of talk about them and think about them and ask them things in my head. And so they don't they don't feel... It's weird. I don't feel that they're gone. I'm probably still in denial. and might one day burst into tears, but I'm not at the moment. Uh, I don't mm. think they're, well, they're not gone, are they? Because they live, they live through you, and so on. So exactly, exactly. And I see so much of them in my sister's grandchildren, in my own children. It's lovely. Yes, yes. Well, you you mentioned how amazing your mum was. You know what mm. what was childhood like for you? Do you do you have only glowing memories of it? Is it is it something that can you remember your childhood bedroom, for example? <laughs> um, in the first house I ever lived in, yes. Um, because uh, I arrived there, I suppose, when I was a baby. But um, that was a lovely room, and it was a lovely house, and I often dream about that house. But that was the house that was sold, and then we went into our little 60s house. Yes. And um, and my mum was she's incredibly glamorous, incredibly glamorous. She used to hate the fact that I never went out with blusher and lipstick, you know. <laughs> <laughs> she she was really gorgeous. She'd be doing the gardening with her lipstick on. And um, she... Oh, I can't remember. Oh, the childhood, yes. So it was her and me and my sister, Cherry. Mm. And um, the three of us were just bumbling along and uh, having a nice time. And everything was okay. I mean, changing schools was a bit of a hiccup for me. But then then that was fine as well. I became a girl in the village, and that was lovely. And I uh, felt at home in our little village. And, um, and then uh, my stepfather arrived when I was about nine or ten. And um, he adored my mother. He absolutely adored her, worshipped her. Um, not not a particularly easy person, um, and it was a bit difficult for me. But that's as far as I'm going to tell you about that. 
I'm not ready for that yet. Fair mm. enough. Fair enough. No, that's um, no, that's that's. Thank you for sharing what you did, um, Fern. Let's let's talk about the career because, of course, we've we've touched on the continuity announcing and the and the, mm. and the early life. What we sort of forget, in a way, is actually you were a a young lady dropped into the environment of a newsroom to start with, which is oh yeah, that's, that's a baptism of fire, isn't it? Oh, newsrooms. Well, yes. I mean, in the olden days, that was something I had never experienced before in my life. Um, it was terrifying. Uh, a, a strong sense of testosterone <laughs> pouring out of every male reporter in the room, obviously. Um, and we would have, um, if I'd made a film and take it in and cut it and put it on the show, and then I'd be really shouted at, you know, that was rubbish, you should have done this, you should have done that, blah, 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 blah. I'd be upset and sobbing in a corner trying not to cry because you're not supposed to cry in the newsroom. And um, and then the show would go out and then everyone would be downstairs in the bar because we used to have a bar in the studio. I mean, crazy. <laughs> um, and um, and then it was all hell, fellow, well met. And uh, so you realise it's not personal. So you get this screen match, it's just not personal. It's to do with making the show good. So then I understood it. Um, and there were when I went to the BBC and I was working in the newsroom at the BBC in, in um, Shepherd's Bush, you know, television centre, yeah. as it was. And <laughs> so there's my first morning there. And I walk in and uh, the eight o'clock news meeting. So I'd got there about 10 to 8, perfect. People welcomed me into the newsroom, sit down, sit down. And there was a big table with chairs all the way around it. And I sat here, one chair empty. So I sat down. And at eight o'clock, the double doors at the end of the office flew open and head of news strolled in, stalked up to where I was sitting and said, that's my chair. Oh, no. And Yeah, and I looked oh, around no. and they were all the reporters sniggering because I'd fallen for it. Uh, yeah, oh, those so, rotters. You know, well, yes, I had another word for them, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's that terrible. kind of... Oh, yeah, but they play those games, or they did. I mean, that was when things were, were over, overridingly masculine um and i'm you know they just didn't know any better if you know if people catch on with a joke they do it and they think it's hilarious they don't think of it but nowadays i think people do think about the consequence and how unkind that is but it toughens you up yeah. it really does and that's good as well you know but still my current husband who you know unfortunately we are separated he always used to say to me you're like a cockroach no one can kill you <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, it, that's the thing, isn't it? People, again, we, we, there's this kind of misconception of television. T TV and, and being in TV, I'm not saying there aren't lots of lovely people in it. Of course there are. Oh, it's tons of lovely and lots of fun as well. But you do remember the crappy bits. It's, yeah. it's pretty cutthroat as well, though. There's, there's some mm. very out for themselves individuals across the board. I mean, that's probably true of many other industries, but I don't have experience of them because this is my career and, and ditto with yourself. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there are some tough, 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 tough people. And if you've made yourself unkillable, to use your phrase, then I mean, that's <laughs> that's what you need to survive, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. But again, it wasn't a conscious decision. It's just it's learning about yourself. It's learning that Life is a mess. You're going to make a mess. Other people are making a mess of their lives. Those messes then bleed into each other. And that's what makes people so difficult at times and so lovely at times. And nobody's all good or all bad. And, and it's just trying to get your head around that notion has helped me a lot. You know, yes. there'll be some people that, no, I know that they don't particularly like me. I know that I don't particularly like them. And so it's best just not to 
engage. You know, there's an awful lot of things. Now, nah, I'm not going to engage with that because I don't really want to. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> and great. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's no, you don't have to. That's, you don't well, really don't. The trouble is you sort of do when you're younger. That's the attitude you can have when you're a bit older, when you've got a bit of experience. Correct. Correct. But I want young people to understand that they can, they are also, they have the power in themselves to give themselves permission to, you know, want to be with somebody or not be with somebody. It's okay. Yes, fair enough. And when a job stops being enjoyable, that's the moment I've always gone. So, you know, that's, I just thought, no, I'm not enjoying this anymore. I've done everything I can. That's it. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, it's quit while you're ahead and so on, isn't it? So, so the apprenticeship, as it were, and I'm, I'm sort of using that term lightly, we've got mm. breakfast time, obviously, on the, on the BBC One and Top of the Morning with GMTV mm. and so on and so forth. Lots of it mm. was quite journalistic, you know, and as you say, you were making features as well as hosting them and, and having various different narrative leans. So mm. you were sort of building a, a very sort of respectable career as a, as, a, as a reporter, as a broadcaster and so on, which, which could have led you across the sort of Newsnight panorama and so on. And yet <laughs> instead, we have this lovely twist of fate, uh, you know, in, uh, in 94... Which turned yes. to this cute little cookery show that just took off. <laughs> I know, I know. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, my boys were very small at that stage. I had them in December 93. And by spring 94, um, I was taking them into the Ready Steady Cook studios. Yeah. And that was extraordinary. Now, that, that job, my agent at the time, lovely, lovely man, Peter Plant, he was very unwell and um, was not going to survive uh, a cancer that he had. So he was making sure that all his clients got a really nice job oh, wow. before he popped off. And he said to me, please, just go and do this audition. I said, I don't like cooking. So I'm not a foodie. <laughs> and he said, no, 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 please, just for me. So, okay. So um, off I went, and they were, in, they were auditioning three women. Uh, one very famous one, one I don't remember, and me. And... Um, so I was the third on the list that day. And so they were obviously putting us on a on a conveyor belt, so we never met each other. Okay. So I, I I arrived to have the cup of tea and be held back by a runner. The second one was in makeup, about to go and do the audition. The other one was just coming out of the audition. Do you see what I mean? So oh, then we were on this yes, loop. Yes. And this lovely runner um, took me off for a cup of tea. And she said, do you know anything about this program? I said, no, not at all. She, she spelt it out to me. She talked to me all the way through it, exactly how it should work, blah, 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 blah. So I had it in my mind immediately. Oh, she was incredible. So when it got to my turn in the studio, off I went. We played the game. And then the man who invented it, um, Peter Bazalgette, he came down out of the empty seating area, you know, onto the studio floor, came up to me, said, how did you know how to do that? You just took that right off the page. And I said, oh, I, I spoke to a nice runner who, so they didn't know who that runner was. She, she, she vanished. They, they looked, I mean, they said, no, we don't have one with what? long brown hair, we don't, whatever it was. I can't remember now. It was as if an angel had come and just said, there you go. And they, and the BBC didn't want me. They wanted the very famous, very beautiful uh, woman to do it. Um, but in the end, I got it. Isn't that extraordinary? Oh, I mean, that's uh, genuinely, I've got hairs on the back of my neck standing up there, Fern. That's, yeah. That's miraculous. Yeah, it really, really was. So that was, um, I don't know, we did over a 
thousand shows. I can't remember how many. But and that was very, very. That was a gift that just came from nowhere. I see. Sometimes don't don't stay on the map. Go on the B roads. That's what I say. <laughs> you know, you can miss an awful lot bombing up the motorway. Mm. Yes, yes. What? I'm I'm so intrigued by this this mystery runner now. Have you have you tracked her down on, on any level? Is there ever no. to her ever? No. I wouldn't recognise her now, probably, but honestly, that happened. And they're all going, we don't know who you mean. I said, oh, you know, she had cans on and she was, no, there's no one of that description. No one came forward. Isn't that weird? But anyway, whoever that woman was, she she played a blinder. (laughs) And you ran with it. So, you know, it takes two to tango, doesn't it? Well, I got the job I didn't want and then realised it's exactly what I wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think that's, I mean, crikey. That's totally blown me away and thrown me right off course, Fern. I was like, oh, good. I wasn't good, expecting good. that at all. That, that, that's a, Excellent. Just a miracle story. Wow. I know, I know, I know. And it's true. It really is true. So there you go. This is something that I have found talking to, to people of great status like yourself, which is a word oh, that really? comes back. No, no, come on. You, you, you've achieved everything. You, a hell of an achiever, fan. If you're dismissing it for yourself, then you're you're lying to yourself. You're an unbelievably talented broadcaster with an amazing CV. It's just it's it is the, the proof is in the pudding, and and it's there. It's been there for years. But there are people of your status that have used the same word to me, and I've I've always thought, no, that can't be right. And yet, it's so consistent when it comes out from people of calibre like yourself, that I sort of think, wow. And that word is luck. You know, the first person oh, God, that used yes. to with me was, was Jeremy Clarkson. Jeremy Clarkson told yes. me that all it was was luck. It was, it was just that yes. he called himself the luckiest man in the world. And I, and I thought, yes. oh, come on. And then yourself yes. and at least ten other people have, who've achieved huge things have all put it yes. down to luck. Yes, yes. Right place, right time. And somehow just having the, you know, the courage to go, okay, well, let's do that. You know, and by the way, I like Jeremy Clarkson very much. He's very nice, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yes, great, mm. absolute terrific company. Yeah, mm. yeah, which, yeah. Which actually, little tangent for you, Fern. I get the sense from reading your books and so on. You're a bit of a car nerd. <laughs> I am. Yes, yeah, so. <laughs> yes, yes. I always put a car in in one of the books and I describe it. Yeah, yeah. Oh yes, I love cars. Um, I uh, I love Formula One racing. And um, I watched. I, wa- I watched it. Uh, well, there's, yeah, I'm going to mix it. You'll have to cut this bit because there's a race this weekend. I think I can't remember which one it is. Anyway, um, but yes, I play in a fantasy Formula One league. Oh, um, and I've been playing it for over twenty years. And once I won, <laughs> once I was third. This year, I'm second from the bottom, and there are about twenty five of us playing. So, <laughs> but it's such a laugh. And we put a tenner in every year. And uh, whoever comes first gets the, the big chunk, then second and third, So, but nobody else gets anything. Oh, but it's so wonderful. much fun. This oh. is wonderful. I love yeah, this, never- Fern. <laughs> Good. And we've never really met each other on the list. We've just sort of uh, friends of friends of friends. We've created this list of about 20 of us, and off we go and play all the time. It's it's such fun. Oh, really this, is. This is amazing. I, I, literally, really on, is. on Friday, I, I was talking to Jensen Button. So, you know, we're aligned ah. in, our, in our love of these things. He's, uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. We love Jensen. We love Jensen. Not that I know him, but I mean, I love him. <laughs> oh, he's, he would, yeah. Tell you what, you'd, you should get him on your show. He's a cracking chat. 
I mean, it's, you know, we, we, we expected to talk about uh, racing and we ended up talking about the possibility of having vasectomies. So, yeah. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> well, it's a very gentlemanly thing to do, I would say. <laughs> so, so, so his, his uh, fiance has told him, yes, absolutely. Uh, well, look, this, I, I obviously want to get back to this morning and so on. But while we're on a car theme, there's a question mm. that I, I love to ask people because we have a car show as well. And I oh. just because it would be mad of me not to ask you this. I, I like to talk to stars about their dream drives. And mm-hmm. I'm just going down there with you now, Fern, because you're clearly informed. So here's, here's it's a little game for you. Mm-hmm. Here's what we do. You can have any car, take it down any road, and you can have three celebrity passengers. They can be fictions, <gasps> fictional, alive or dead, and so on. Where are you going? Oh. What are you driving? And who mm. who joins you on your journey? Okay, well, I'd be on the... Mm. It would definitely have to be Cornwall. I was going to say, it's, Cornwall. So, it's clearly Cornwall, isn't it? <laughs> I'm afraid much. so. Yeah, 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 it is. And uh, we'd be going over Bodmin Moor and then uh, go through, go cross into Devon and then go up onto Dartmoor because the dips and the hills and the valleys and everything are just spectacular on a sunny day. Mm-hmm. I would be driving an old uh, Triumph Herald Vitesse with the roof off. Ooh. And, you do uh, like your cars. That is, you know, that's not just a standard <laughs> trot something out and hope for the best. That's a proper motor. Yeah, I always wanted one of those. Um, I was looking at them last night, actually, online, and they're like £15,000 all done up too much. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, and I'd have Dolly Parton with me, of course. And I would have, um, hmm, who would I have? Oh, I think Adrian Dunbar because of Line of Duty. He's so nice. gorgeous, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Like, so, so Adrian Dunbar, Dolly Parton, and um, hmm, where would I go with that one? Someone who really makes me laugh. Yeah, Joe Lysett. Oh wow! <laughs> would that I be good? It. That would be one heck of a wow! What a trip that would be. Okay, this <laughs> this is the biggest challenge for you then. Because I'm just going to say goodbye to my daughter. Hang on, she's going sure. to work. Goodbye, my love. <laughs> Have a good day. Bye. There you go. She's gone. Brilliant. Yes, bigger Brilliant. challenge. Love yes. It. Love it. So <laughs> you've, you've chosen Dolly, Adrian and Joe. Who sits in the front yeah. next to you? Because I'm assuming you would drive. Oh, yes. Assuming I'm driving. Well, I guess it would have to be, I think it'd have to be Dolly because, yeah, it would be Dolly. And Adrian Dunbar has had to kind of wrap his knees up round his ears in the back seat. <laughs> <laughs> as with Joe, to be fair, yeah, that's that's well, a, as with Joe, that's tight. Yeah, yeah. What's your yeah. What's your current motor then? What do you What do you trip around the hills in as, as, as things stand? Yes, I well, it's a car that I really love. Um, it's a Kia Sportage, and okay. it's about four or five years old, yeah. but it's lovely. It's got ev- all the bangs and whistles, big bells and whistles. What's it? Anyway, um, I used to have, a million years ago, I had a very lovely uh, Mercedes 500 SL, which was gorgeous. Um, But, you know, with four children, it sort of puts the kibosh on pleasure like that. Well, there is that, isn't there? I mean, yes, we we had to change uh, something that I used to have a lot of fun in for something that had lots of Isofix points in. And it's as simple as that. Exactly. Do you want exactly. To, literally, I was at that position where the, the dealer, because I've always preached, you must always test drive a car before you buy it, because otherwise, correct, worth, right? And the, I can remember the dealer saying to me, "Well, so do you want to test drive it?" And I was like, "Yes, but how many isofixes it got?" It was like you seem very fixated on the isofix. <laughs> yep, sort of the main swinger. You know, 
if I love the drive of one and it has two isofix points and I'm, I'm <laughs> meh about the other, but it's got five or six isofix points, the isofix wins. So yes, yeah. yes. Well, I have to have a sunshine roof no matter what because I love a topless car. Yes. So, um, but it's very hard. Can can you think of a topless car you could have that that holds more than four people? No. Oh, I mean, or, four, or four people in comfort. Yeah, there's. Well, they did do the convertible Evoque. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, but mm, it's not me. No, <laughs> that's a hard pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, how, how are you on pickups? Because I'm rather drawn to the Rivian, which is this kind of crazy, massive, all-electric American thing. And oh. it's it. You know that it can do 700 miles on a charge and all this sort of stuff. It's it, wow. It's, it is enormous. I mean, it would be like a monster truck on British roads. But you'll fit yeah. loads and loads of people, and it's got a pickup out the back. So if you uh-huh. wanted to have the sunshine feel, you could probably put a hot tub in the back. To be honest. Well, that sounds good. But again, not me. Not really. I tell you what. I tell you what. The, the VW campervan is being reimagined electrically as well, yes, and they've is. got something. Yes, that interests me. The ID buzz, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. So it's what good did you say? I think it's called the ID buzz. ID buzz, is it? I think so. You rat, you, you're very on this, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, start, I'm starting to bluff my way through this now. <laughs> oh, hang on, there's the telephone. I'm going to let the, the machine pick that up. Oh, it's a busy Saturday, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Avon calling. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, well, look, you know, we, we have to have a word about this morning, of course, if you if you don't yeah. mind. It was a big, big part of, of your well, 10 years, wasn't it? It was a huge chapter yeah. of, of your of your professional career and one that brought yeah. so much joy from the public as well. Oh, I I loved it. I was that was the one program I always felt I'd been built for. When they were inventing it, first of all, three companies were asked to uh, tender three different shows for the slot, and I was in one of the tenders which didn't make it, and uh, Rich and Judy got it. So all power to them. Um, and then I just looked at, and thought, oh, I think I'm made for that show somehow. So uh, when it finally did come my way, I was delighted. And um, and and it's it's a brilliant program. It's um, I mean, it changes its personality very often. I mean, when you look back to the old Richard and Judy days, it was much more um, journalistic and quirky. It's now more kind of uh, gossipy led and television led and all those things. Um, but it's a great show and one that's very difficult to turn off once you start watching. Yes. Yes, mm. I, I know what you mean about the Richard and Judy days. For some reason, they felt a little more aggressive. I think maybe just because of Richard trying to get people to win money. You know, come on, come <laughs> on. <you know. laughs> yeah, yeah. But they would also, uh, you know, go for very unusual subjects. And, and they were groundbreaking because they were the ones doing the first breast examination on television, testicular examination on television, all those things. They did it because at that time of the day, you actually can get away with things that you would normally get away with after watershed because um, it, it's it's either young mums and babies or retired couples or students who are watching and they don't mind they're not going to be offended <laughs> so um, you know it is a there's a very it's a very loose remit whilst very carefully put together it's it's a great show yes it is and and how much of it is busked. In, in other words, you know, how, how much are you reading every single link and, and sort of aware of every single feature and exactly how this is going to go? Uh, mm. or, or how much of it is just, do you know what, we'll do it live. You know, just chuck some words on the screen for me and we'll, we'll go for it. 
No, it's not quite like that because um, the producers, there's a there's one producer per day. So we have five producers that go across the week and they obviously build a brilliant show. And you get in the car in the morning. That's lovely being driven about. I must say it's lovely. Get in the car in the morning. The driver um, has the, the papers and your script and research notes. And I had a lovely driver called Tony who was with me for 10 years and I adored him. So it would all be there ready, and um, I'd read the script and read all the uh, um, research notes, obviously, write my interviews up, and then enjoy reading the papers and the headlines and see what's going on. And then once that's funny enough, do you know when you when you write something down, you remember it better Yes. when it comes back out again? Yes. Reading doesn't do it for me. You have to write it down as well. So by the time I got in the studio, I could almost throw my script away because it's all in there, all packed in. And then be prepared to go off piste, exactly as you've done with this interview. You've taken us off piste and come back again. And, and that's because you're listening, because you're good at it, you see. And a lot of people ain't listening and can't get back on track, uh, you know. So that's, that's the difference. And then when you're listening and when you're fully engaged with what's going on, it becomes one conversation, which is, in, in my opinion, the loveliest bit of it. That's the bit I miss and the bit I love. And when, when Winnie was a baby, um, because I was still feeding her, she had to come to work with me. And occasionally on talkback, I'd get fun <laughs> nod if this is the case. Are there any nappies in the bag? <laughs> you know, and I'd be interviewing somebody. I'd just give it a little nod and then off we'd go. And it was brilliant. A brilliant. A real family. A true family. Oh, that's wonderful. And also, mm -hmm. gosh, I mean, those would be happy nods, wouldn't they? Someone else doing the nappy. All right. <laughs> well, it was only for two hours. <laughs> but yes, yes, lovely. Yes, mm. I would take the biggest amount of nappies in ever and just be like, yep, go on now. <laughs> yeah, go for it. You know when to do yeah. it. <laughs> yes. I've given you a massive feed just before we go on air. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> and we're good to go. Oh, brilliant. And we're good to go. Happy days. Yeah. Happy days. Happy days. And, yeah. and now, of course, you know, this this new chapter, which is Novelist Fern, mm. which is such a success. And I'm, you, you haven't stopped presenting. You've you've changed your priorities and so on. But you are still, obviously, you're on telly when you want to be, I believe. That you're sort of, you're controlling the narrative on when you when you well, produce TV shows? you can only control things as much as you wish. I mean, but then again, you know, though at least I can say no to things I don't fancy and yes to things I do. And I'm in the middle of filming um, a new series at Channel 5. There was a program finished about 20 years ago, but it was very popular called Watercolour Challenge. Right. Lots of people remember it and wanted it back. So you get every program, four painters sit in front of the view that we've chosen. They've got three hours to paint it in watercolour and they have an expert coming around looking at it and you get a painter of the day, you know, champion of the day. And um, so we're doing 20 of those for Channel 5 and it's been really lovely. We've been shooting in Cornwall, in Devon, in Wales and Yorkshire. And um, that's great. And then I'm going to do a couple of documentaries for Channel 5 about Cornwall, but not, not the Cornwall picture postcard, I hope. It's much more personal that and seeing different little bits of it and whatever but we've still got to sort of work on that narrative as you would say um and yeah then i'm writing book 11 no book 10 yeah book 10 now and uh so that'll be out next year wow 
I mean, crikey. And do you know what? It's so, it's so interesting to hear you say that Channel 5 are going to do some documentaries with you as well, because I've noticed there's been a real twist with the, the way they've commissioned things and that they are going for these lovely, personal, important documentaries. You know, I think mm. Rob, Robson Green did one on Hadrian's Wall, didn't he? Which, of course, yes. where his, his, his passion lies. And, it was a, and yes. as a result, it was a beautiful piece of television because he was just being, yes. oh, look at this. And you'll be exactly the same with Cornwall as we, I mean, we already know oh. your connection to, from the books. But Well, I, I hope so. I hope, I hope so. I mean, it'll be, yeah, we're not, I'm not quite, quite entirely sure what, how it's going to be because we've got to get some meetings and I'm allowed to write a lot of this as well. So that's very nice. And um, yeah, it's, you know what, I think in this terrible COVID times, people want to have something gentle and jolly because the um, the news and everything is so heartbreaking constantly. You, you sort of have to t- turn it down a bit, it, it, literally in your mind, don't you? Because yes. it's so awful. There's only so much we can do Yes, as ordinary people, you know, just try and be nice and jolly people up and get on with it. But we can't actually fly our airplanes over to India and deliver everything, can we? Which would be lovely. No, we can't. I mean, we can send them support and we can we can help if mm. we're financially able and so on. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, every fiver counts there, doesn't it? It does. It does. And mm. the trouble is there's so many other causes across the globe which are needing help <sighs> and attention. It's, you know, it's not, it's not just one. Yes. No, no, it isn't. No. So, yes, there we go. That's ending on a serious note, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's it's a pretty pretty big finish, Fern. I mean, you, you, you've given us a few lovely moments there, though, because, of course, you know, the, the watercolour channel sounds like it's going to be a, a lo- just a lovely piece of television. You know, a bit, oh, like, yeah. a bit like the Gone Fishing, you know, with um, oh, yes. Bob Morton yes. and Paul Whitehouse. Oh, isn't that just genius? Yes. Yes, and this will—I imagine this will have that same spirit, you know, just lovely, <laughs> beautiful backdrops, calm, you know, just a lot of it is, I uh, hopefully like that, and I think there's a bit of funniness in it as well. It's quite fun. I mean, sewing bee is brilliant, and uh, bake off is brilliant. You know, you've got to have a bit of competition and a bit of a laugh, and that seems to be the the. The, the menu for the day at the moment, doesn't it? Yes, yes, but but yes, you're right. The being kind, the being nice, the being warm—it's so mm. it's so vital. And also the knowledge. I think we all knew this, but the knowledge that you've reasserted that book number ten is is underway and will be out next next year is a huge thing as well. Because you have an army of fans that just flock to your books. Oh well, I'm I'm delighted. I'm always delighted when men say they're reading them too, because. You know, I mean, I don't write for any particular sex, but one would should assume a woman writer is writing for women. But um, it's lovely when men have read the books. I love that. <laughs> well, I, I can speak for myself. I've read them. I think they're superb. And I mean, just on the most recent one, you know, Daughters of Cornwall, gosh, the way you describe the trenches and the life at war, etc. is, I mean, it's like you were there, Fern. It's, uh, it's really oh, bless stuff. you. Well, that was the research I did into my great uncle, Bertie, who was on the battlefields and did die in the way I described that that character dies. Yeah. Yes, yes. Mm. Yeah, remarkable. I would encourage everyone to, to get on it. It's a, it's a oh. cracking read. So, you know, well done you. <laughs> I suppose it's the way to say it, isn't it? Bravo. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you, you so much. You don't quite know how to say it without sounding kind of twee. You know what I mean? It's just... oh, it was it was tough one to read, to, to write, because it was after my mum and my dad had died and... Uh, I, I, I it really it took me a long time because I could, wasn't in the right space. But I'm delighted that people like it. Yeah. Yeah. 
no, it's a, it's a, it's a cracking read. And uh, yeah, long may that continue. Fern, you've been the most wonderful company. Thank you. Was, we've had such a rambly chat, but it's been so rewarding. And, and I keep thinking about all the different things we've touched on, and it's been huge. What a, what a conversation. <laughs> thank you so much for your company. Andy, thank you. That was a really lovely interview, and I appreciate it. And love to all your listeners. Oh, bless you. Have a wonderful day, Fern. Have a, have a, have and a you. happy time. And I hope we speak soon. I am. And you too. Good, Good. luck with that baby. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. All right, darling. Bye-bye. Bye. The Andy J Podcast. The lovely Fern Britton. Wow. What a life she's lived, huh? What an incredible conversation. What a, what a really special lady. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I'd love you to have a really good week. I'd also love you to do me a favour, which is to subscribe to this show. If you could also, you know, maybe give us a five star rating and, and throw some nice comments in the uh, comments section. If you listen on iTunes, that would be really kind of you, because as with all shows, it's one of those things that if people like it and don't do anything, doesn't really uh, doesn't really help. If you do like it and you are in a position to be able to chuck five stars our way, that helps with our awareness and our ability to keep doing these. And obviously, if you could say some kind words as well, that'd be lovely. Inevitably, there are always trolls and uh, people that have rival shows and little teams of people that like to give you one star and give you negative bits and bobs. Well, we don't really play those games and we just accept whatever rating we get. We just do our best to give you the best listen we can each and every week. Now, next week on the show, this one is not to be missed. We have a very in-depth conversation with another fascinating character, Mary Portis, Queen of the High Street, an amazing lady with the sort of most futurist style brain I think I've ever met. And we've just we've just had that chat. That'll be going out on the radio in a few days and you'll be able to hear it here from Tuesday next week. I think it's a special chat and I hope it's worth your time. Um, so, yeah, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. Tell your friends and go well. Be kind. Make someone smile and be kind to yourself. See you next week. If you're enjoying the Andy J podcast, we'd love a review. In fact, if you're enjoying the show, why not tell your friends? Podcasts live and die on, well, often word of mouth. So please tell your friends. Like, subscribe, review and share. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.